This is a Hoff Studios podcast. You know, guys, I had a really nice intro, um, but Laura Lucetti just messed it up. <laughs> so now I'm just going to let you know that my best friend, Jessica Lane Weiss, and is your other last name Singer? No, okay, it's great. just Weiss. Just we Weiss. can talk about that. <laughs> um, it's here today. Jesse, you introduced me to parenting in a more respectful, kind, and loving way. I didn't even know that that was like a thing. <laughs> I didn't even realize that people could do that. Um, that like you could raise children without yelling at them or like tugging them around for the most part. Um, and I just love you and I thank you and I'm so excited to introduce you to the world. World, you're welcome. <laughs> um. It's interesting that you say I introduced you because my those early, early times with Asher, with my second child, are so tied up with um the Rye class that we went to and hanging out with you afterwards. That was our that was our habit, that was our routine. So as I was learning, right. um, you're very much tied into that for me. Yeah. So that Rye class, I I, I have spoken about Rye before, but it's it's an acronym for respect um for resources for infant educators. It's a terrible name for a it really It doesn't really approach. describe what it is. Well, do you want to describe what it is? I, your experience with Rye sure. is, and, and, you know. Sure. I, um, I guess just briefly, something that you know about me is that uh, the audience here might not, mm-hmm. is that I tend to do really deep dives. Like if I'm going to do something. Like if, your shoes. Oh, exactly. Like my barefoot shoes. Yes. If I'm going to do something, I don't usually go halfway. I like do all the reading there is to read that I can find and then I do it. And obviously when I got pregnant, I decided like parenting was going to be no different. And I fell into all this reading and the reading that I ended up doing took me in this attachment parenting, gentle parenting direction that really resonated with me. Um, And then none of the strategies I was reading about really worked that well. With your first? With my first. What were like some of the strategies Mm. that you read about that that didn't go that Well, just this idea that like if you were satisfying your baby's needs, they wouldn't cry. Mm. Like, Like I had it in me to fulfill her every need as an infant um, that ended up being really damaging to my mental health and to our relationship. I didn't um, know that. Your relationship? At that time. Obviously not I, not long term, but in the moment, I, like, it, was, it was really intense. And I mean, I think part of it is that when you read about a parenting philosophy, any parenting philosophy, what you're reading is essentially like a list of rules, right? What to do, what not to do. Mm. Um, and when you've actually internalized a philosophy, it's it's different. Um, it's it's a it's a lens shift. It's a mindset. And with attachment parenting and with gentle parenting, I I never got there. Um, but it really came to a head for us with sleep when uh, when Wesley, my daughter, was four months old. Um, our house at night was a disaster. She didn't sleep at all. She never slept at all. And the guilt, like the weight of that, was so heavy. Um, and I'm an insomniac, right? Like I don't have 
I have a long history of being awake all night. It's not a problem for me. Like the lack of sleep wasn't what was bothering me. It was her lack of sleep. She was miserable at that like four month sleep shift. Uh, we, we, we would sit, Jeffrey, my husband would sit on a yoga ball with my baby in his arms, shushing shush, 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 as loud as he could and bouncing up and down while she screamed all night long. Mm. Like every 40 minutes all night long. Mm. And she was miserable. Mm. Obviously we were miserable too, but from my reading, I was like, whatever, we can survive this. She needs what she needs. But it was very clear that she wasn't benefiting mm. from this feeling we both had that she, that, that it was our job to satisfy her, to keep her from feeling the upset that she was feeling. Right. Um, so, so anyway, so my deep dive shifted and I kept reading as I do. And I came across this philosophy, Rye, which is what we were talking about. Um, particularly I, I came at it from a place of sleep advice. Um, but it really resonated with me and I continued reading. And luckily in New York, we have classes. There are Rye classes that you can go to, um, because again, while you're reading it, it can sound lovely, but it's just a list of rules or to do's or to don't do's. Um, but and, when and the the first book that you would pick up is like Baby Knows Best, yes, by Magda Gerber, and it's like so judgmental. Yeah, it's, um, it's and like hard if to, you're in the throes of it, it's just like oh god, you're judging yourself, you're judging every other parent, you're judging your own parents. It's like so totally, and or you could read like the Janet Lansbury um, blog right? And at least her blog has very practical advice for specific situations. I but, love her podcast also. But, but like if, the, if that specific advice doesn't end up working, then you feel like, well, this philosophy doesn't work for me. Right. Or but, like I'm wrong and the baby's wrong. And- right, right. But if you, if you internalize it, if you are actually able to make the lens shift that babies are whole human beings from the moment they are born and they have just as much right to respect as any adult and also that you can trust them to know what they need and to know what's best for them, obviously through a developmental lens. But um, if you can make that shift, then you actually start viewing them differently and it stops being a list of rules and it starts being a relationship that you're having Mm -hmm. and you are applying that mindset, that lens of how you view the children to your relationship that you're building with them, because in the end, it's all just about relationship. Mm. So anyway, so that's how I got there. Um, and like I said, in New York, we were really lucky because we have these classes where you can go and you can see someone who's really well-versed in Rye uh, facilitate these classes where you basically just sit and watch your baby. You observe. Yeah. You, you get a chance to sit back and to realize that their happiness, their being doesn't rely on you, me, because they're their own person. And so you get to watch and you get to observe and you get to learn about them. Um, Yeah. And Rye covers the ages from birth to two. And so a lot of like the actual strategies that you, that they describe end up um, sort of becoming obsolete as they get older. But if you've actually gotten into the mindset right? The, the true belief that these are human beings that deserve as much respect as any other human being, then 
it's not a, it, it stops being necessarily about strategies because it's easy to figure out oh, easy. That's the wrong word, but it's possible to um, relate to them in a way that sort of ignores Co- the cooperative. You yeah, know, like cooperative. You're cooperating with them. Exactly. Which it, means you know, that they're more likely to cooperate with you. I mean, not necessarily. Right. But, but so, the likelihood so our, is higher. Well, our society has a really behaviorist framework for the parent-child relationship. Mm. Um, the way that we in our society conceptualize discipline is that you um, you incentivize or de-incentivize a behavior with punishment or rewards, right? Um and it's a very specific way of looking at it, but it's so pervasive in our society. Um, it's so pervasive that you can't. It's hard to escape, and it's like um, it's the default. It's so you, also how we discipline ourselves. Yeah, right. Like, oh, I had a hard day. I worked so hard. I I deserve this treat. Sure, I deserve this drink that we've that we've all internalized that. Well, experience. exactly. So I'll, I'll take it one step further. Like impossible if, not to pass that on. I'll take it one step further. If I want to exercise, I need a chart and I need a star. I like literally, yeah, yeah. yeah. I literally like check off the days that I have exercised, right? It feels great. I need it. I I am, it's very hard for me to motivate without that external, right. That external motivation. And so part of me is like, okay, maybe that's, you could say like, maybe that's good for kids, but also where did it come from? Right. I was absolutely, I was raised with sticker charts on the fridge. Right. So, so just to like rewind those ride classes that you took um, your children to, you invited me to when I was pregnant with my son, Ness, who's my firstborn. And I sat down in those classes and you just sit in a circle, you put the baby in the middle and they play, they play, they play with other babies. Can you imagine these like little floppy bodies? They can't even like, they can't even, um, crawl they're just like army crawling over each other's bodies and we're letting them and it really is and I talk so much about the village that we don't have and it really is an hour and a half of like oh my god this is what these babies need they need each other they need a safe space they need loving eyes Sure, they might need some boundaries every now and then in terms of like, don't stick your tongue in a socket, but like only sometimes. Yeah. Actually, they're, they get it. They, they know that rolling over their friends, like cute little chubby baby body is way more fun than sticking the, the tongue in the socket. And if it's, and if our, and if our bodies are covering it, they don't even know it's there. But I sat in that circle and I just wept because part of, Part of what was so interesting to me when I was watching that is that you and I both went to acting school where we would take these movement classes where we at 18 to 22 years old would literally do something called contact improv, rolling on the ground. Rolling on each, with contact though, touching each other. Touching each other and, you know, without being inappropriate at all. I mean, there, there were fun, more like more fun touching moments in acting school. But in these classes, you know, we were like connected to the ground. We were using uh, all the space we had in the room and each other. And I realized like, oh my God, we were just trying to get back to the baby tactile 
delicious experience that maybe none of us ever really Never. had. If you sit at a playground and you watch toddlers try to interact with each other, young, the younger crowd, the amount of times they're corrected by their caregivers is sort of astonishing if you count. Um, if they try to touch each other, if they try to touch each other's toys. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's in, again, it, it's a, um, it's a framework that once you've shifted away from that lens, you see it everywhere. Yeah. But this idea that like a baby reaches out to touch another baby's face and you hear gentle, gentle, gentle before you even know if the baby was going to be gentle. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so, so these ride classes are, are lovely because they give the babies an opportunity to really interact with each other. And the facilitator only intervenes when, um, when someone shows discomfort. So f- for instance, if a baby's bopping another one on the head and the other one doesn't seem to mind, there's no, there's no reason to intervene at that point. Part of it is trust. Um, it's, it's trust that as humans, they will learn from their surroundings and they don't need explicit instruction in order to gain the social skills mm-hmm. that we gain. Um, and in fact, experience, experiential learning is how humans learn best. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so I started with those ride classes where it's very intense and that was early, right? It's It's until the children turned two. So at that point, I still was a little bit like, following a list of rules. There's like, you can look up what phrases to say, don't say this, say that instead, those types of things to try to um, emulate this mind sh- mindset shift. Mm. Um, and practice it because yeah. it's a practice. It's not, it's not intuitive. It's not no. what we were raised doing and it's not what you see. In fact, something that I'm really curious about is how you managed, and I think you really skillfully manage it in a way that I still have trouble with, particularly with other caregivers. And I was just telling Laura that I find it so hard to hire, you know, babysitters. Less less so now in some way and more so now in, in others, but I find them so judgmental. I had one one caregiver tell me that I was spoiling my children, you know, by like, what, not yelling at them, not hitting them, not not punishing them. Um, and that their outbursts were, were because they were spoiled. When in fact, I know for sure that their outbursts were, is a release of energy that I'd much rather have out of them than stored for some therapy session 30 years later. Totally. They're going to go to therapy anyway. They're all going to go to therapy. Yeah. Just not on my, not at my hand to the best of my ability. Yeah, exactly. To Frank, the best frankly, of my ability. Frankly, a little bit at your hand. I because, mean, legit at my hand for sure. Because, <laughs> because we're human too, right? Yeah, and we yeah. all have our stuff. Listen, I can talk on and on about all my ideals, the way that I relate to my children in ideals. Ask me if I yell at them, right? Like it's not in the toolbox that I've decided to use, but I have my own stuff. Of course, someday they're going to go to therapy and they're going to talk about their mom. Yeah. Um, but there's something... The word conscious parenting is something you hear a lot too. Yeah. Um, Was that like, a, I think it's a Dr. Shafali term, yeah. right? And I, I love her work. It, you know, it means different things to different people. Sure. Jeffrey and I actually, once once I fell into this rye thing and I was like, okay, we're going to be more specific about the way that we're relating to our child. 
it turns out Jeffrey's like a natural at relating respectfully to children. So I didn't have to worry about him so much. It was really more for me. But um, we actually sat down and we made a list. Like, what do we want for our kids? And how does the way that we approach parenting line up with those values? Um, So for instance, we pictured a scenario when one of them is 16 and makes the biggest mistake of their life. Like, life-altering, dangerous mistake, right? And what do we want their first response to be? We want their first response to be like, shit, I got to call mom, Yeah. right? And I love my parents, but that would that would not have been my response. Maybe the last on the list. Right, exactly. Literally, like, literally the last. <laughs> right, like my, my response then would have been like, shit, I hope my parents don't find out, right? right? And, and so that has to start now, when they make mistakes, which they will. And they do all the time. Of course. Yeah. I want to be a safe place for them. Um, and I also, I think, I think some people see that as permissive, but if you hold strong, if you hold firm boundaries and limits, you can do it in a loving way, approach them as failable humans, the same way I would give you the benefit of the doubt. If you made a mistake, mm-hmm. I can give that same benefit of the doubt to my kids. You know, it's just so, it's just, yes. And um, I just commend, I just commend you for keeping that front and center over what everyone else thinks. Sometimes I notice how loud I'm talking to my children as if it's like some sort of performance for everyone else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that could be me being super gentle and, and, and like patting myself on the back. And it could also be like when I'm disciplining them so everyone knows, like, I saw that. But I just am witnessing the volume. Like, wh- why am I performing for everyone else? That pressure to look like you're doing something is really, I mean, I have, I, we all have that, but like at the playground, right? And like two kids get in an altercation and your kid pushes the other kid and the other kid doesn't give a shit, right? They're fine. And that feeling like, oh, I gotta be like, you can't, you know, we don't push, right? But I remember- the other kid's already fine. And my kid knows that pushing is not ideal. Like he's not stupid. Like, that, that's obvious. He, he has enough experience now relating to humans that he intellectually is aware that that's not the best response. Yeah. The amount of benefit of doubt we give adults relative to what we give children is astounding when you yeah. actually look at it. Um, the, the times that we expect better behavior from children than we do from adults, uh, once you have that in your head, you'll see it over and over. And it's even adults that have shown time and time again that they are not worthy of that benefit of the doubt is wild. But like these kids who are still like in these deeply formative years where like, no, be better, do better. Right? I mean, impulse control is developing in young children. It starts to become developed around age seven or eight. But until then, it it just doesn't, it doesn't exist in, in times of stress. And Every kid is or different. Fatigue or fatigue hunger. Or hunger. It's one of the first things to go, even once impulse control has developed. So, for instance, your kid I mean, may know. I have very little impulse control. I couldn't even let you finish your sentence. Just this, now. Is, this is exactly it. My impulse control, technically, that part of my brain is fully developed. I mean, and it's, it's a hard skill. If you leave a bucket of Halloween candy, I can attest. Uh, after this weekend, I can attest, if you leave a bucket of Halloween candy in front of me and I say, I'm going to eat one more piece, 
ask me how many pieces. So, so, so when we ask, so when we leave a chocolate bar out and we tell a kid no chocolate, and then as soon as we leave the room, they eat it. And then we come back. Whose fault is that? Right? Like, right. But and also, why are we? Why are we like always assigning blame? It's just such an interesting, you know, when you have kids, <laughs> it really is like such. Um, a, a window into the matrix of your own mind. Like, wh- why are we always pointing fingers at people? Like, all of a sudden, I'll notice that Ness is like, you did that. And I'm like, wait, where did he learn that that someone did it wrong? I do that, you right. know? Like, I'm always like, oh, I'm sorry, that was my fault. Or, you know, you did this and does it. And when I did it, it's like, oh, the chocolate bar was out. Yeah. I think there's like a whole philosophy of thinking where it's like, it's not. Oops, shouldn't have left that out. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, it's it's wild. The other thing, when Jeffrey and I made a list of what we want for our children, compliance, like the ability to comply with authority was nowhere on there. So, So why would we teach that at such an early age? Respect for others? Sure, of course. Um, A cooperative spirit, those types of things are different from automatically following what the person in charge says. You know, you and I both had a a, a similar but different meltdown during COVID. And it's like, (laughs) that was so intense, that experience where it was like, this is what you have to do. And my whole system was like, I have a really hard time following directions and this is life or death. And so I have to do everything right, everything right, everything right. Because, you know, because I never quite was trained to think for myself and cooperate at the same time. I was just taught to follow the rules. And when I didn't follow the rules, I was a bad girl. I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm not alone in this. This isn't no. like, and it wasn't just my parents. This was this was how society raised me. And when I had the rules shot at me from the powers that be around COVID, I was like, I, 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 I. I would love for my kids to have that experience and like have the wherewithal and it really was a lack of wherewithal to say like what makes sense to me what feels good you know like yeah what makes what where can i look to validate these you know and not just it, hand my life over to someone totally of authority it, to internalize the directives coming at you in in respect to your values and right. the, the things that are important to you, and then make a decision about how to proceed based on that. Yeah. And again, it has, in my opinion, it has to start early, right? Like my kids negotiate with me all the time. I hold firm boundaries when the boundaries are important, but sometimes they convince me that they're not important. And I think that's actually really beneficial. First of all, that they see that flexibility is something to value because. If I make a mistake, I'm the first one to say it. I mean, not always, but I try. ideally, I would be the first one to say it, right? Oh, I didn't realize how important that is to you. I'm going to think about it more. Uh, I'll come back to you about that one. Um, things like that. Hmm. So from Rye, I actually didn't, I, you know, there were, there were a lot of things about Rye that I love so much that I talk about on this podcast so much. And, you know, and there are a lot of things that made me feel like just a, straight up failure. And there are a lot of things around the other word, like the words around natural birth and 
breastfeeding that, that just really, you know, I, I still live in the world and like, is the world flawed and did the world trample over all, a lot of my maternal <laughs> instincts and does, did that hurt me? And perhaps my relationship with my child, probably, but I still live in the world. So I, you know, I have this sort of push pull when it comes to these more high level, ways of relating to children because I I also know like <laughs> I also know like I'm only human I have my own limitations you know I I'm sensitive and when other people judge me it really hurts totally me. and you know and so I hear you I I struggle with all the same things mm. of course I'm, I, what I what I think I was trying to say earlier is that w- at first, it seems like a list of the ways to do things right. Right. And there, there isn't. That's one of the hardest things about parenting. For, for me, with my perfectionist tendencies. Yeah. Um, it's like you went to the deep dive. You did it. You don't always know the right answer. Right. And even after you've made the decision and done the thing, you don't know if it was the right decision. And the stakes and, are and so high. And you'll never know. The stakes are so high and you'll never know. And you have to come to terms with that because there are no other options. Mm. This is extremely comforting for me to hear, just not even through the lens of having children, but to know that like there is something to be said about when you're a non-mom and that to me, because you're both mothers, you clearly know more. You have this <laughs> huge chunk of life experience that like we just simply don't have access to because we don't want to or we can or we haven't, whatever the reason. But to hear you say that is so validating for me in other areas of my life because I'm looking at you like you're both an authority on, you know, it's like, you know, more. And then I'm like, okay, so if you feel like that in this area where I think you have so much more knowledge and you do, then, you know. And, and she really is excelling in this area. Yes. I, I, I'm a witness. <laughs> yes. It means so much to hear you say that. It doesn't <laughs> it, always feel that way. But mm. it really does. It, 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 uh, it makes me feel better because, like, I have had that similar feeling in other veins of my life. So mm. thank so, you for sharing yeah, that. Yeah. One of the things that we mm. didn't mention that is a major component of right, or maybe we mentioned it briefly, is trust. And I would say radical trust that children are resilient, that th- you, like, if you're trying to meet their needs, you, you're not going to break them. We're all humans. And is there a way that you could parent perfectly and your child would never need therapy? I don't think so. Yeah, because no, you, apparently that's like too much stress on the child also. I read, right? I, you know how I, <laughs> it's like. The good enough mother the is good what enough you're talking mother about. is actually really good enough. And that's, you know, apparently the good enough mother only attunes to the child, I think, 30% of the time. It's not. It's a, it's a much lower number than you'd guess. A, and the truth is, unfortunately, we, we come from a generation and generations back where we did not have good enough parenting. And it really is only 30% of the time that the child needs to be attuned to. Yeah. Um, so when I started following Rye, uh, I put that in air quotes, mm-hmm. um, I was reading the rules. It all, it resonated with me so strongly I was following it as strictly as I could. I was really trying to implement all the rules. And then my kids got older and I I had another kid and then another, I had three. So you, you can't implement all of it. And sometimes you have to make decisions where the, the choice isn't obvious based on the list of rules you have. Um, but if you continue to to try to just to 
view your children from that lens, that they are resilient, that you can trust them. Mm. Also that they do well when they can, that, that they're good um, mm. because that's a, a big part of it too. Um, eventually I was able to let go a lot of that pressure. Um, not that I don't still feel it. Obviously raising my children is the most important thing I'll ever do, but um, is that obvious? Oh, to me, it's obvious. I, I think that raising my children is the most important thing I'll do um, for me. And and as they get older, the, the rules of Rye, first of all, stop applying because they're, they're, they're past the age where Rye was designed for. But the lens through which I view them didn't have to shift. Yeah, you know, I think what I always think about about when it comes to this respectful parenting stuff from the day they're born is that, yes, of course, a newborn baby is a whole complete person with a personality, with ways of communicating, certainly. And I'm not only being respectful towards them and and uh, sort of prompting their consent when I, you know, engage with their bodies and you know, um, just for them. I'm doing it as a practice for me. Yeah. It's, it's day in and day out, every choice I make, I get to get better and better at honing this skill. And yes, I know, I, I, I do know that it helps with language development and a sense of self. I see it with my children for sure. Um, but, but more than anything, it's practice for me because it's not intuitive to, to speak to a nonverbal baby as if they understand everything you're saying. And as if they're, you know, that they would understand the temperature of the wipe is going to be cool. So heads up, little guy. You know, it, yeah. it's not intuitive until you start to realize like, wait, they feel stuff just like I feel stuff. Like their their butt's going to feel that the, <laughs> that the wipe is wet and cold. Right, should give them a heads up. The way it's, same what I would an old person, absolutely who wasn't verbal necessarily. Also, <clears throat> Daniela, we talk a lot about like ancestral and you know lineage trauma. You know, uh, so if we're gonna if we're gonna go back like to trauma in our lineage, then how could we not acknowledge that even though you're not verbal and may not remember being mm -hmm. one, two, that like you couldn't absorb some kind of like weird trauma then if people weren't respectful to you? I really appreciate you saying that because I, I do think that their bodies remember. I do. I mean, I have memories from when I was in my mother's womb. Like... I know that sounds crazy. I retrieved those memories in a hypnosis, and I, but they are clear to me, guys. Like they really are so clear. Like I came to bring light. I came to make them smile. Like I really, I can see in my mind's eye, it's dark. Like I, you know, so woo woo, you know what you signed up for when you press play. But, <laughs> um, but that really is still the skin they're living in for the rest of their life. Yeah. Absolutely. You, And they only get one life. I mm. mean, uh, reincarnation, woo-woo, we can go on. But this is their one life, right? And you you got to move through it and you got to make choices and you're not always going to know that it was the right choice, but they'll survive. And 
you just have to keep reorienting to the relationship. I love that. The relationship, I, you know, reminds me that the relational field is where a lot of healing happening uh, happens, you know, either between partners or even just friends. Like I sit here with the two of you and like, you know, whatever sister wound was ever present for me, I feel is dissipating, you know, that like I have sisters, you might not be my blood relatives, but that in this conversation, holding each other, listening deeply, that's a healing of a past relationship that was not a hundred percent necessarily. Not all relationships can be. That that's just how it goes. But I find that like your um, when you talk about your intentional parenting, we've used so many good words around it. Is it conscious? <laughs> is it gentle? Is it whatever? But this intentional parenting, it really does feel like it's it's um, healed you from the way you were raised in a way. And I and that's an interesting thing, you know, like some people meditate, some people, they sit in plant ceremony. And for me, when I watch you, and I think you had a, a, a I, I love your parents. I yeah, know your parents, my parents well. are My parents are great. And? And they had the tools that they had at the time and they did what they could do. Um, it's interesting. I do, I do think that, I mean, I, I chose to be intentional about the way I parent my children for their benefit, but the benefits that I gain are innumerable. You did choose for their benefit. Maybe that was the, the first. I guess I chose for their benefit, and then I, I stick to it for me. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you, you just mentioned all the words. We've said conscious. We've <laughs> said intentional. We, I, it's... It's strange. It's hard to put a label on because unless you're selling books or right. or programs. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have I have my resources that I can go to when I am struggling with a problem, mm. um, but but in the end, it's a relationship, right? I I don't think that my role is as a behaviorist to train my children to do anything. When I talk about it, sometimes I feel like I sound so permissive, and I'm actually, I'm not permissive. I have no, my my daughter is uh, nine now, and if she is bugging her brother, I have, like, our relationship is such that I can just give her a look and be like, knock it off, and she knows what I mean, and it's not shaming. She knows, right? But um, But there is no judgment there, right? She can look at me, and she can say, hey, mom, knock it off, and sometimes that's what I need, right? Um, yeah, so for me, it started with a parenting philosophy that really resonated, but it now has shifted into just the way that I relate to my children, but to children in general. And I think that is when some of the pressure was lifted because there's not rules for me to follow at this point. There's a way that I view my children and the way that I therefore relate to them. Can you hit us with the ages of your kids? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, my daughter is nine, um, and then I have two sons, uh, a seven-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. You know what I was really interested of, um, in exploring, actually? How cool it was that when Asher wanted to wear a dress, what, how old was he when he was like, Wesley gets to wear dresses. Yeah. I want to wear dresses. He, he was almost this, three. He was three. He has this long hair. He still hasn't cut it. It's to his waist. It's to his waist now? Yeah. But his brother cuts his hair, right? Yeah. And he asked for it? Mm-hmm. 
Toby? Toby's the... It, he initially we cut it because my mom gave him a wonky haircut when he got slime in it. Um, but he was not opposed. He's not attached to his hair. It's very, he has a very different relationship with his hair than Asher has. So, yeah. Well, and I know that you have boundaries around what you, what you care to share about your kids because it's their own life. But if you have any interest in, in sharing, I, I remember when, when Asher, your second, um, uh, you were pregnant with him, you would read these books about how we raise boys. Yeah. And I just, I I didn't fully understand what you were learning at the time. And I would love to revisit it actually. Yeah. I, um, so you were talking specifically about dress. Yeah. When, when I, when my kids were babies, well, f- for some practical reasons, we just got hand-me-downs and we didn't find out the sex of any of our children before they were born. So for my first, I got a bag of hand-me-downs and a lot of it was boys clothes and a lot of it was girls clothes um she's using air quotes yeah there there go the air quotes again um anyway the point is i i gave them all sorts of options and as soon as they were old enough which is much younger than you think to express any sort of opinion um it's up to them how they present themselves to the world and it what and with with most kids they do choose the gender normative Close, I don't no? think most kids get that choice. Uh, I, I I think in our society, it's, even if they technically could have that choice, they don't even realize it's an option because of the way that our society functions. Hmm. Well, Asher wore dresses for like years, didn't he? Yeah, for three years, and wow. then he, and then and then he went to school and. Slowly but surely, it stopped being something he was interested in. Because he, do you know why or no? It, it was, it, he never said anything about it, but I, uh, it's pretty clear that um, kids get socialized really fast. I don't think anyone was ever mean, but it just became obvious to him. He very much identifies as a boy, and that's now what boys at school do. Wow. Yeah. During those three years, did you ever have a hard time with the way people were relating to you? Mm, only when people would give me a hard time. And did they? Yeah. Yeah, we got some flack from um, certain family members. Yeah, certain relatives had a really hard time and would even say, like, you're the mother. It's your job. Like, Mm. what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, I'm the mother. And he's the person who gets to decide who he is and what he wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Can we celebrate all of you for a second? The amount of criticism from family members or strangers <laughs> that all of you seem to be getting is mind-blowing to me mm. and something I would have a really hard time dealing with. Um, so I think we just need to celebrate all of you really taking these criticism, like either with a grain of salt or with such grace that you don't explode on these people is, uh, you know, no small feat. So congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that is one of the hardest parts about parenting for me. It really is. It's crazy, yeah. People people have such strong opinions about about children. Yeah, and and this is coming from a person who has strong opinions about children, so but even if you have strong opinions about children, are you voicing them like in an aggressive way to other people? No, or I mean I think there was a time when I was really annoyed with the way people were relating to kids and 
Um, I think I was triggered. I think what it was was I wasn't 100% sure that I was doing a good job. And I think I also, there was something in my system that was being triggered by um, by my own childhood. And I was trying to defend children when really I was just trying to defend myself. So if that's what's happening to people when they're like attacking mothers, there there is a part of me that thinks like, you know, here we are, we were raised by wounded children who were raised by wounded children who were raised by wounded children. We have better technology to heal and to do better now than we ever have. And I think those wounded children are still trying to get heard. And the way they're getting heard is often by criticizing mothers. I also think there's something to be said for fear. In in the case that we were just talking about, I can imagine that some of my relatives might have been really afraid that my son would suffer as a result of being allowed to express himself fully, right? Because we live in a society that sometimes tortures people for those types of expression. Um, but we, it will never get better if we don't allow it. So there's that too. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think I, underst- I do understand fear, and I know it's not a way to live, <laughs> being governed by it, run by it. Yeah. And and, and, and it makes me really mean, guys. You know, <laughs> like when I'm afraid crossing the street and the kid doesn't listen, the force with which I grab the hand is too much. I mean, when my rage comes out, when I yell at my children, it's, it's out of fear. almost always anxiety. It's always, almost always fear. My four and a half year old says it's my dragon. <sighs> my dragon comes out when I'm feeling anxious. Um, but to take it full circle, just quickly, the, that's what a lot of modern day, a lot of parenting in general from a mainstream perspective is about fear. Like, will my child become a good person? Will they know the rule? Will they be able to follow the rules? Will they be... Um, And that's where that radical trust comes in, that people learn experiential, like you learn from experience and you, if you see values being modeled for you, you will take those in. And as a parent, it's not our role to, what's the, there's a metaphor about how you plant a seed and you can adjust the soil and you can offer it water and sunlight, but you don't get to decide what flower grows, right? So our role is to provide the environment that allows the flower to thrive and then allow it to be. It really is so tricky. But it takes a lot of trust and it can be scary. It takes a lot of trust. So worth it though. Yeah. You think it's so worth it? Tell me oh more about gosh. that. Oh my gosh. So worth it. it a lot... Now, with a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old who can converse with me, the amount of joy, the amount I get to enjoy them, because I, 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 don't, feel, I don't feel the pressure to make sure that they say please and thank you every time, right? I don't, I don't feel those pressures. I trust that they will become the people that they're supposed to be. They're great, by the way, just for the record. Part of the reason that I'm so enamored with you, um, aside from you being very cute with great red hair, (laughs) um, 
and very good at Shakespeare, let's let's be clear about that, is because um, you're, they really are great. Like, not to be so result, results-oriented, but those kids are great. They're great kids. They're great for me to be around. They're great. It's really nice to be around you, and you're not, like, constantly up their ass, you know? it's It makes for a much more pleasurable experience. Yeah, we get to enjoy each other's company most of the time. That's what we do. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think that it makes you more present, not just with your kids, but like with the adults in your life? Absolutely. I take the the things that I have learned from doing a deep dive into this lens, uh, this um, view of humans, uh, has absolutely affected my adult relationships. Because... I can give the same benefit of the doubt to adults too, right? We do Mm. well when we can. And when we can't do well, there's something in our way. Mm. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. It it keeps me, um, it keeps me grounded in the humanity of the people around me. But like Daniela, to your point that she's, she's not up their ass when you're hanging out. It would be nice. Like I have a lot (laughs) of friends that have kids, then they're up the kid's ass the entire time you're there, which is what you need to do, I get, you know, I assume, but not always though. But see, so it's so nice to hear, like, because then yeah. it seems like you guys can connect. You see your kids connecting or having fun or playing or whatever, and it's fine, and you're not like, yeah. And, and let's be clear, that's not always the case, mm-hmm. right? Like, especially when the impulse control isn't developed, there are times when, for instance, one of my kids went through a hitting phase, and for that short time period, I had to shadow that child and stop them physically from hitting because that is the way that the behavior the behavior ends, right? Everyone's so focused on behavior, but the, the, the point was it was a habit and it was a lack of impulse control and no amount of yelling or punishing. The child knew that it wasn't the right choice right? It wasn't a choice in those moments. So in those intense, short periods of time, it can be really um, intensive. And then we breathe and we enjoy each other's company again. So, yeah. And it depends how old they are. Of course. Of course. Uh, What I mean by not up their ass, actually, is that you're not, like, I find it really... I guess it's... I I think what I'm talking about is triggering. I think it's like it rattles my system when I hear... Um, parents nitpick their child. I don't know if you feel that way, Eloria. Yeah. Because like, don't do this and don't do that and say this and say that. It's like, oh my God, even just the thought of it, it gives me a headache. It's it's I do a very often, uncomfortable I, sound. I have me. an exercise that I do sometimes with, where I think to myself, would I say this to a grown up? And it's fantastic. What's the magic word? Are you kidding? If, if I said, hey, Laura, could you pass me the salt? And you said, what's the magic word? I mean, you wouldn't. That's a, that wouldn't happen. So, um, so that exercise, would I say this to an adult, um, is a good one. It's helpful to reframe things. Yeah. Can you tell me about Visible Child? I, I didn't get into it. Oh, but, yeah. Um, maybe so, it's a good resource for sure. so, whoever's interested. Um, th- I feel like you can get lost in the amount of resources, right? If you're st- if you're trying to follow all the rules for parenting, um, that was air quotes again. <laughs> um, you can get lost in the resources. So, 
I think great advice is to find um, mentors whose guidance resonates with you um, and to stick with them. And the one that I have found that really resonates with me is a company called Visible Child. The founder is Robin Einzig, and she is influenced by Rye, but um, but it's not completely Rye. It's her own take on early childhood. She's an early childhood expert and has raised a lovely child of her own to adulthood. Um, and so she has a Facebook group that she runs like a class. Oh, wow. It's really, really um, beautiful and also can be very intimidating when you first get in there because there's boundaries. She has firm boundaries. Absolutely. Um, but whenever I have, when I, the, the times that I have run into parenting dilemmas that I couldn't solve. I've done consults with her. Oh. Uh-huh. And um and every once in a while now I'll hop in the Facebook group just to read because her answers and the answers of the people who are well versed in her approach to uh child rearing are um they help to reorient me. Uh sometimes I'll even start to type a post. Like I'll have a question and I'll start to type it and as I'm typing it I can hear what what the answer is. Mm. And then mm-hmm. I don't have to even send it because um, because she approaches relationship with children with such clarity. Get out. Yeah, you should. I'll send you a link. Thank you. Are there other resources that you would suggest? I, you know, I, I usually end these, um, chats with like, where can we follow you? And it's like, you're private on Instagram and you're just like my personal resource. I I, I was thinking how I would answer that question and you can't find me. Yeah. Sorry. She's all mine. That's okay. Maybe some parting advice, some advice and maybe some resources for for friends. So visible child is a great, a great resource. Mm. Um, I love to read all of Magda Garber's Gerber's uh, work. What's the, what's beside? Your self-confident baby. Oh, that's what I meant. Not baby knows best. It's your self-confident baby. But in I, I, to be honest, I like it more in retrospect because it did feel overwhelming at first. Yeah. Um, I would say if you can get yourself into a Rye class with an open mind, it's totally worth it. It's R-I-E. Correct. Um, and then I think my advice is just to know that there aren't right answers mm. and that it really is about building a relationship Mm-hmm. with a human being who has the same right to their own life as you have to yours. <laughs> that sounds wooey, but that 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 it is does, the that's, final. that's so sad that that would be wooey, guys. How depressing <laughs> is our society that we have to be like, "Oh, that's so awkward that I think this person is a person." E so yeah. weird. Whatever. Dude, trust your kids. That's what it is. Yeah. Trust the kids. For real. Hmm. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. I love you too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Thanks.